brother here. He is the discipleship pastor at Gateway Church in Phoenix, actually Scottsdale. So I think over two campuses. Um, I am so proud of my brother. He has done so much in ministry in his in his life, and is still still going strong. And I am grateful that he is with us today. Of all the places he could have been, he chose to be here at High Point Church. So I am grateful for him to be here. And this time, I'm going to ask the Sunday school classes, Sunday school teachers, you can be dismissed. I'm sorry. I was supposed to do that a while ago. Now I'm going to ask my brother to come up. He is my friend, he is my brother, and I am so glad that he's here at High Point Church. Pastor Phil Goldsberry. Thank you. Well, thank you, and um, that's a hard act to follow. How do you, what do you say after that? You know, like, yes, or maybe, but uh, I'm going to give honor to my brother and his wife for... Uh, what they've done. How many appreciate your pastor and his wife and what they do here at the church? It's great. If you have your Bible, if you get it out, I want you to find um, Luke chapter 13. If, you have, if you're using your phone, uh, just grab your phone. I don't care if you've got your phone out, uh, just as long as you're not on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, but uh, if you use your phone or whatever, it doesn't make any difference. Just grab Luke 13. We're going to just spend a little bit of time there. I want to ask you a question. And it's kind of the set the message up. What's in the foundation? What's in the foundation? We had a friend of ours uh, in, in Phoenix that they bought this home. It's a beautiful home, and they just had got in there. And in, in the area of Arizona where we live, they have what's called expansive soil. And if you don't uh, remediate the soil, you can build a house on top of it, and that's what happened. They built this house on top of it. And then they moved in, and inside the kitchen, they started seeing the floor start to do this, started raising up, and the floor actually wound up with about an inch and a half gap in it. The concrete split like this. What's in the foundation? They didn't take care of what was there. And because of that, when you build on top of something that's faulty, you don't have the ability to really do a good job. And Jesus talked about this. He said in Luke 13, verse 6, he said, I told the story, the man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. This guy, Jesus is telling the story, he said, there's this man that comes to his, he comes to his fig tree, it's in his garden, it's his fig tree, and he comes again and again to see if there's any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years. Now notice the, the long-suffering and patience. And there hasn't been a single fig. For three years, there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered, sir, give it one more chance. Everyone say that. Give it one more chance. Leave it another year, and I'll give it special attention. Say that. Give it special attention. And then he said, give it plenty of fertilizer. Say that with me. Plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. There's three things that Jesus brings out in this story. He says, give it one more chance. Give it another chance. Give it special attention. And then he said, give it plenty of fertilizer. Check what's going on in the soil, which is the foundation of the plant. It seems that what's underneath is pretty important to what's on top. Would you agree? You see, foundations are important. Foundations are important in life. Um, we were living in New York when the Twin Towers were destroyed on 9-11 of 2001, and a resurgence took place right after that that began to say, wait a minute, we can't leave this rubble. I, I remember going down to the site on day 
two or day three after the, the planes had hit, it had fallen. I was able to go down and uh, to see what had happened. And it was just, it was so, uh, it was so heart-rendering. I remember coming home that night and my shoes were covered with that dust that you saw everywhere. And I remember that night I couldn't sleep because I thought, I don't even know what's on my shoes. I don't even know what this is. I don't even know what this dust is. Because there was such destruction. But in New York, they became this resurgence to say, let's rebuild. Let's remember. And on May of 2006, the construction began to build a memorial called the Freedom Tower. The Freedom Tower. And as you're watching this, you're going to notice that for about 40 to 45% of this video, and I'm going to explain the video in just a minute, you don't see anything coming out of the ground. There's, there's nothing coming out of the ground. It took them eight years to build the Freedom Tower. Now, here's what's interesting. I don't, this is a, a piece of information you can use in Bible trivia sometime or in normal trivia. But I think it's got a truth to it, and that is that in eight years, this camera was set across the street, and it shot every 15 minutes. But did you notice about 40% of it, there was nothing, but when it started coming out of the ground, watch what happens. It starts to rise. But you've got to get the foundation right first. The Freedom Tower is 1,776 feet tall. You just learned something. 1776. The Freedom Tower. It's the tallest building in the Western Hemisphere with the spire. And it costs $3.9 billion to build. It would seem that a whole lot's not going on for the first almost half of that video. But what were they doing? They were working on the foundation. Manhattan is built on a rock. Lots of In Central Park, you can actually see how big the rocks are there. And you can't build tall until you go deep. But many times in our lives, what we do is we forget that very thing that it's what's in the foundation that determines how high and how tall and how mature I become. Jesus said, look, it's what's in the soil. And Jesus is giving a parable. This guy had every right to expect figs on his fig tree. And he gets, I've done it. I'm, I'm three years into this and nothing's happening. And the gardener says, why don't you just give it one more chance? I love Jesus, don't you? That's just his heart. Just give him one more chance. Um, give it some special attention. And you know what? Let's put some fertilizer on there. Because what's in the foundation is so important. Our identity, our potential of who we're to become is in the foundation of our life. I'll say that again. Our identity and our potential is in the foundation of what we build on in our lives. In Psalm 27, and 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress. Notice, here we go. The fortress, the building portion. Protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? Jesus even addressed foundations and what's built on top in Matthew 7. He gives us a parable of the two house builders, one called wise, one called foolish. And it was very clear that the, they both built houses, but the one that was built on sand was called foolish, and his house didn't make it because he had the wrong foundation. The one that was built on rock, Jesus begins to tell us, the winds came, the storms blew, but because of the foundation, it did not blow over. And here's what happens in our lives, and I, and I just submit this to you. Once we start working on the foundation of our lives, and once we get all that sorted out, what do we put on top? Many of you came to a place in your walk with Christ this morning, and we just rejoice in this baptism. And let's give him another hand for that baptism this morning. I get emotional because he's being buried with Jesus in baptism. He's taking care of saying, that's the old Wayne, this is the new Wayne. You know what? So when you, when you greet him after, you're greeting a new guy because the old is gone and the new is here. But what happens to our lives that many times we come to Christ and we, we start working on this foundation saying, man, I'm going to grow in Christ and I'm going to really get there. And we, a year goes by and maybe two years goes by, maybe three years goes by and there's not a lot of growth going on. Maybe there has been. But what happens? It's because sometimes we forget 
the inside of the foundation of our lives, maybe there was some things that need to be excavated. So you have to excavate before you can properly build. And some of you are going to get that in a minute because that's my, the whole piece of this message is many times we leave out excavation thinking we can build and forget it. I was talking to a contractor about this, and he said, you know what, one of the things he said I've been involved in is what's called soil remediation. If you go into a building area and all of a sudden they've had uh, toxic waste there before or there's been a, uh, a, a gas station there or there's been something that was toxic in the soil, you can't just go ahead and build on top of it and hope it goes away. No, because it'll start to seep through the foundation and it will begin to come into the building. How many of you in your lives, how many times in my life have stuff, even after coming to Christ, there was stuff in the foundation that started popping up and Jesus didn't say, nah, he messed up. No, you know what he said? He, he said, let's give it another chance. Let's give it some special attention. You know what? Let's maybe put a little fertilizer there that is needed right now inside the foundation. And once we get the foundation sorted out, what do we put on top of it? What are we going to now put on top of our lives? The foundation, uh, and what I'm talking about is repentance of our past. It's, it's letting go of what we were because if, here's the thing is, if God's forgiven you, but have you forgiven yourself yet? And many times what we do, we allow all this stuff inside of our lives, and we know we're forgiven, but we have not changed identity yet. I've talked to people before and said, yeah, you know, I came to Christ and I gave my heart to Christ, but you know, I was, a, I was an addict. And I've said, great. I said, but let me just change your language here. You're not an addict. You're, a, you're, you're an individual that Christ has saved and you've got an addiction problem, but that doesn't make you an addict because the moment you begin to declare that over your foundation, then all of a sudden you begin to live out what you're speaking out of your mouth. Our identity is clearly in Christ, not in what I was. The foundation has got to be in God's word, not in what you've done, but what he's already declared over you that he has forgiven you. You are forgiven. You're loved by the God of the universe. Can you get that? You're loved by God. When you get the foundation, you start to get direction in your life. doesn't mean you've got the motivation and you've got the momentum that you need, but you've got the foundation. It's time to build. You just don't pour a slab and just say, okay, there's my house. I came to Christ, and that's all it is. I gave my heart to Christ. I got baptized. That's it. I just got this slab out there. No, you've got to build something on top of it. And what I want to submit to you is, what's on top of your foundation? And you say, oh, I'm still working on the foundation. You know what? Me too. Me too. There's things that I still want to make sure that as I'm growing, I want to make sure that nothing gets underneath. You ever seen soil erosion come up next to a house and what's the first thing they do? You start getting leaks in the basement. I know you don't have basements here in Florida, but we lived in New York. Our basement started getting water in because of the erosion that started taking place next to the foundation. And we had to go in there and make sure that we put on that, that heavy tar on the outside and fill the cracks and stop what's eroding the foundation. And so today I'm just encouraging you, if you know Christ, then rejoice in that. Are you perfect? No. Are you on a journey? Yes. Have you got there? No. But you will. But what are you going to build on top of the foundation? Don't just look at the slab and say, well, that's it. And I want to submit to you there's six pillars in our lives that are so important that we build on top of the foundation. Six. And if you have a piece of paper and a pen or if you have your phone, just take a couple notes here. I want to give them. I'm going to do it quick. I've got a flight. And so you guys are really lucky today because I'm the guy that's got to get to the airport, so the message has got to really be short. <laughs> pillar one, the first pillar that once you get the foundation sure is relational. You know, in Genesis chapter 2, I think it's interesting, in the second book of the Bible, the Lord God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Notice, Adam is living in perfection. He's communing directly with God. They're walking together, and that's whether that's a Christophany or whether that was a, a visible sign of the invisible God, whatever was going on, Adam had it made. There was no weeds. There was no sin. It was just God and Adam. And God says, this isn't good. And what does he do? He said, I'm going to make you a helper who is just right for you. It seems that God has this thing about relationship that I think we've forgotten sometimes. 
In the midst of a pandemic, one of the greatest things that we're seeing happen to people now is the result of the isolationism. What's happened? We weren't made to live separate. We were made to live relationally. God creates relationships, and relationships are for you. You weren't meant to live on an island by yourself. Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desires. He rages against all wise judgment. Do you see that? A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he rages against wise judgment. Ecclesiastes 4 and 9 says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But I love this last line. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. You weren't meant to live life without relationships. You say, but mine have all been broken. Again, that's the past. Let's step in and say, God, I need to build this area of my relationship. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Here's in, in pillar number two, I'm going to go and cheat a little bit. Pillar number two is spiritual. But I've watched too many people hide behind a spiritual pillar and let the other pillars in their life just deteriorate and go away. Well, I go to church, I read the Bible, I've got quiet time, I get up in the morning, I spend time in the Word, and that's, those things are all good, but you can't hide behind a spiritual pillar and leave out a relational piece of other people. I believe God's called us to live on two planes. Seek ye first, Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And Jesus said, but I'm going to stop there. That's In that Shema, he said, I'm going to stop and add a, a second that's just like it, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. I think we got to live like this. we got to live vertically seeking God first, but we can't leave out the horizontal piece no matter who's hurt you. You've got to get this back. Relationally, the only thing worse than, not, than being hurt by a friend is not having one at all. I'm going to give you just quick five things. Just jot these down. That, uh, to me, in this relational pillar, these are things that I'm working on in my own life to become the kind of friend that, and the kind of relationship that I need with people. And the first one is, is a real relationship pillar when strengthened is you know they're committed to you. Your perspective is lifted when someone is just committed to you. They're there for you. The second thing about this relational pillar is that you put people around you and you become a person that you're gracious with others. They're gracious with you, but they're also, you're gracious with them. We were created by God to need gracious friends. Gracious friends do not continue to bring up your past. If your friends are continually bringing up your past, then maybe that's not the relationships you need to invest in right now. God forgives and gracious friends forgive also. Proverbs 17, 9 says, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. If someone just lives in what you used to be, that's going to separate them. Third thing about relational pillar is you need a friend that you can be vulnerable with. Who are the people that you can be vulnerable with? Vulnerability is essential to victory. You keeping all your stuff in is not going to be a, a, the key to helping you to become who God's asked you to be. Do you ever notice in 1 John it says to confess your faults where? Where? One to another. Who are the people in your life that you can be vulnerable with that you can confess things to? One of the greatest acts of love in all of history is Jesus becoming vulnerable to the point of death. The Bible says we now have this light shining in our hearts in 2 Corinthians 4 and 7, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. The fourth thing in a relational pillar is you need people you can be honest with. People you can be honest with. And the fifth one is you need people that will sacrifice for you. John 15, 12 says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. And I miss that mark. I miss it. Love each other the same way I've loved you. 
the extravagant gift of Jesus laying down his life, do we do that for others? 1 John 3, 16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. I know this may not put you on the cover of GQ, but it'll put you in good standing with Christ. Relational pillar. Where are the areas in your life right now that God will bring to you during this message and say, you know, I really probably need to work on that again. I need to go back and maybe just revisit that one more time. Let's go back to the, number, the second pillar, spiritual. I already gave you a, a little bit of an insight on that one. This spiritual pillar, though we may try to hide behind it, this spiritual pillar of our lives affects all the other five pillars. And that's why careful examination of what's going on in this pillar will determine the foundation and the height of our spiritual existence. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. Now, now I don't, that just blows my mind when I stop and think about that. I can boldly come into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Let me, let me ask you something. Is this the relationship that you have with Christ that you're building on? That you can just say, I can come right into the presence of God. Because of the blood of Jesus, I have access right into the presence of God. You say, well, I, you don't know what I've done. No, 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 listen to this next part. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly with waver, without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of, the, of his return is drawing near. There's a couple things I see here in this spiritual pillar that if we're going to build this pillar in our lives and not hide behind it, the only way we do that is, the first thing is, it says, let us neg not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. When I thought about this, and I looked at creation story and the way that God created the, the heavens and the earth and creates the planet and creates the animals and the waters are divided and he creates man. It said on the seventh day he did what? He rested. God, the God of the universe that spoke these things and created man, he rests. It just seems that God works in a seven-day cadence. Every seven days of our lives, we seemingly were created to live in worship in a corporate environment. I don't know why that is. I don't know that I can ever figure this out. Even Jesus had a seven-day cadence. In fact, it says in Mark 1.21 and Luke 4.16, it says that Jesus went into the temple as was his custom. And, and I know you can wind up going to church because you think you have to, and, and I understand that. I, I, I was probably guilty of that, more of a, from just walking in legalism and just thinking, i got to go to church, and if I miss church, I'm, you know, what's going to happen? But then I realized, wait a minute, I was created that there's something about a corporate expression that I need in my life and that maybe other people need in their lives of me being there. Even Paul talked about it in Acts 17. I mean, think about this, and I'm not, talking, I'm not trying, to be, trying to come down on you, but I'm just saying, if, if he says not to neglect our meeting, if God calls a family meeting at his house, don't you think we maybe should show up? Just throwing that out there. I won't be here next week. Second thing about this spiritual pillar, and I think we've missed this one too, and, and I'll speak it for myself, and he said in verse 24, we just read it, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Your spiritual pillar has a, a dynamic in it that we were meant to build and serve 
in the house of the Lord. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm grateful for ministries that are working with street trafficking and people that are working with, for the homeless. And uh, I mean, I just think of so many people that do so many things. We have a shower trailer that we take out into the area where the homeless live in Phoenix, and we, we allow them until the hot water runs out. They take a fresh shower. We have this mobile shower trailer, and, and we take out, we give haircuts for free uh, to homeless people. And, and I love all of that, and, and that is serving people. But there's something about serving the body of Christ in the house of God. I'm not saying leave that out. I'm just saying is that there's something about serving in the house of God. No, and then you say, what do you mean? Ephesians, Paul says there are gifts Christ gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. We all understand that part. But he said their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church. The body of Christ. So we have this fivefold ministry that's supposed to be building up the, the body of Christ and this, these gifts Christ gave to the church so that these people, these pastors, evangelists, prophets, teachers, uh, apostles, they would build up the body of Christ. And it says that they would do the work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come into such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm not there yet. But something happens when I start to serve. Something happens when I start to lay down my pride. And I feel like, you know what? I can make a difference. One of our pastors recently just... One of our executive pastors, actually, he said, um, I feel like God's asking me to serve out in the parking lot. And it sounded good. It sounded really good when he said that. I thought, man, that's so good. That is amazing. And he thought it sounded good till he got out there in the parking lot. He started saying, wait a minute, what am I doing out of here? I'm, and, he, and he said, it started me dealing with things about my pride. And he said, I'm going to stay in the parking lot till I get this out of me. And he realized, wait a minute, there's more ministry goes on in the parking lot that goes on in the church. Amen. And he said, I don't want to leave the parking lot. And he stayed for like six weeks in Phoenix. It's not cold there. It is hot. Why did he do it? As a martyr? No, he said, there's things that are melting in my heart. He said, I really, there's times I was standing out there and I said, you know what, I'm better than this. Why, why am I? I'm one of the pastors here. I don't need to be out here. I, I, I don't need to do this. And he said, all of a sudden, you just felt that gentle touch of God say, it's okay, son. It's going to take another week. <laughs> See, when we have this genuine fellowship with God, we just want to serve people. We just want to love people. That third spiritual part of that pillar is the third thing. He said, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Notice he said, let us hold tightly without wavering. What does that mean? We need to build ourselves up in the Lord. Don't expect someone else to do it for you. Maturity is linked to self-feeding. I'm going to let that just sit in for a minute because some of you didn't get it yet. It kind of goes with, you know, I'm going to look for another church because it's just not deep enough. And I want, when people say that, I think it's just not deep enough. What does that mean? What do you want? Because the highest calling is not to see how smart you can get, but to see how much of a servant you can become. That people can be one to Christ. When people say, you know, I just want, I want to get so deep in God's word. I'm, one of my first questions, and I know I shouldn't ask this, is when's the last time you, want, you actually led someone to Christ yourself? Oh, okay. Well, that's to me. 
what this is all about. It's 1 Samuel 30 and 6, David was in danger of losing his life, his sons and daughters, and people start talking about stoning David, and it says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. What happened is David became a self-feeder. Pastor Greg did a great job on Wednesday night, and I was here on Tuesday night, and um, you can't say, you know, just I'm glad these guys are doing their job, you know, Pastor David. I'm just glad they're, I'm, they're, they're going to help me grow up. Yes, they will, but there's a side you've got to go to the bucket yourself and eat yourself. If you think you're going to mature spiritually on Sunday alone, you're fooling yourself. i got to move on. So the first pillar is relational, second is spiritual, and third is financial. He said, oh, no, this is going to be another tithing message. No, consumer debt is over $4 trillion right now, according to LendingTree. $4 trillion. Consumer debt, not the U.S. debt. Well, I'm not going to go there. Well, yes, I will. American total debt has now surpassed $13 trillion, according to the Fed. Our world is surrounded with financial challenges that, to me, have become a seedbed for anxiety and broken relationships. Dave Ramsey says that 78% of all marriages end as a result of financial challenges in the marriage. So maybe marriage and money should be looked at. Maybe even my relationship with my money should be looked at. And we're going to look at a couple of verses here in a minute that kind of Jesus kind of brought it up. I, I'm not the one bringing it up. Jesus did when we think about money, we want to associate it with ownership. Well, that's mine. I don't even own myself. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. Money and we got to get this in perspective because this is where it just messes me up so much. Is that we focus so much on money. I want that's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for you'll hate the one, love the other. You'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You see, money is the currency of earth. But souls are the currency of heaven. You're not going to take your money with you to heaven. You might have bought gold. God bless you. But you're not going to take it with you. There is a battle going over in many people's lives. And you say, what does this have to do with growing up spiritually? Uh, everything. I've watched people trade off. Trade off so much just of this one pillar financially. They get in trouble, and the, the thing they do is they go to try to fix it themselves. You see, the financial pillar of your life involves three things very simply spending, saving, and giving. Just it's simple. And, and again, I'm not making fun of you. I know what it is to go through tough times. I know what it is to have financial hard times. And, and for those of you that may be here this morning and going through it, my heart goes out to you. I know what that is. I remember one time that one of my girls, and we've kind of tried to work through it with her, is that she almost made an inner vow because she remembered as a little girl, she remembered her mom counting out the pennies at the, at the, at the grocery store. And she said, I will never do that. My wife had gone check out and was like, I may have to put something back. And maybe you've done that. That doesn't make you less of a person. It just means that maybe there's some areas that God wants to refine because for you to grow, you may need to look at where is this financial pillar at right now. Spending, it's very simple. If you spend more than you make, you're in trouble. Saving, just find a way to start living beneath your privileges. How about start living beneath even your need? And then the third part is giving. And this is the part that gets us in trouble is we forget that it all belongs to him anyway. Most people cannot understand or comprehend the concept of tithing, but, but the bigger reason, do you realize that it may be a big deal with God? 
Leviticus 27 says that one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. Let me just say this. Tithing is not a Christian tax. <laughs> you become a Christian, you have to pay taxes. No. The Bible just said it's, it's set apart unto the Lord. I can... I can't pay it. I don't, I don't pay my tithes. I've heard people say, well, i got to pay my tithes. No, you don't. You return them. Because you can't give what doesn't belong to you. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if I could look uh, this morning playing guitar? I, I said, you know what? I, I want to give $1,000 today. I want to give $1,000 today. I want you to do it, though. And I'm going to get the blessing for it. He's going to give a 1000 and I'm going to get the blessing for it. It doesn't happen that way because you can't give what doesn't belong to you. Even Jesus made it clear in the New Testament. I've heard people the argument in Old Testament, New Testament. <laughs> we had a speaker last week. Um, he's a rabbi, and uh, he took his Bible out, and he said, I brought this Bible this morning. He said, I'm going to do something today that some of you um, are going to really not like me for. And he said, there is something in your Bible that is not authorized by God. And everybody's like, what? And he said, it comes right in Malachi and right before the book of Matthew. And he said, it's a, it's a white piece of paper. <laughs> and he took it and ripped it out of the Bible. And he said, all we've done is we've separated the old and new. And he said, that was never God's intention. He said, in fact, if you read the book correctly, the story never stops. And so what happens is we've still got this fight between, well, that's just Old Testament. Well, Jesus actually brought up in the New Testament about giving. He says, sorrow awaits you, religious, your teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb garden. But you ignore the most more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe. Jesus said, Jesus said it. You should tithe. He, he said it. Yes, but, but don't neglect the other important things too. And, and let me just stop on this financial thing. Um, Pastor Robert Morris has a book uh, called The Blessed Life. And notice it's not The Blessed Pocket Book. It's called The Blessed Life. One of the best books on finance, on the financial pillar. And Pastor Robert says, it's not just any tenth. Before the law, and this is where people get trouble, is they say, well, that's just under the law. No, no, no. Before the law was ever instituted, there was a format given in Genesis 28, 22, and it says, present to God a tenth of everything he gives you. But then in Proverbs, he goes on and says, it's the first fruits of all your increase. The reason for first is you're showing God you're putting him first, not any entity or individual. I get paid online, and I know the day I get paid, and before, and I have a, all of my banking is pretty much done online, and before I want any money to ever go out, and I don't have a physical check, it goes straight in my account, I make sure that the first thing out of that account is the tenth that is the Lord's. He says just legalism. No, priority to me, it's my heart. God, I, without you, I wouldn't even have this. And I don't like, oh, I got to give this. No, I get, I get to give this. I get to return this. Lord, thank you. So if the financial pillar is challenging you right now in your spiritual growth, just ask God to speak to you about it. Fourth is physical. And I'm going to wrap up here just a minute. I'm going fast on the last ones. Physical. Remember how I said we hide behind the spiritual and we leave out these other pillars in our lives? I, I remember somebody, and I probably shouldn't say this, and if, it's, if it offends you, just pray for me. I had a, a very wise older man tell me years ago, and I, I never forgot this. And I don't know why I forgot it, didn't forget it, but he said, don't ever trust, don't ever trust a fat preacher. And I was like, that's kind of cruel. And I thought, well, well, wait a minute. Maybe there is something there. Our physical bodies are the vessels that we submit back to God for his use. And if I sit and destroy my body by not being a good steward of it, 
And when I talk about the pillar, this pillar called physical, I'm not talking about appearance. I'm talking about condition. I'm not talking about having a beach body or, you know, becoming a stud muffin. I don't, I'm not talking about that. But what's the condition of your body? See, we all come in different shapes and sizes and forms. And, but the spirit-filled life involves a disciplined life. 1 Corinthians, we read part of it a while ago, but I'm going to read the rest of it now, 6, 19, and 20. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You're not, you don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Again, I'm not talking about appearance. Talking about condition. I don't belong to myself. I was purchased by the death of God's only son. And he said, even your body's not yours. My son paid for it. He said, well, how do I, how do I get this physical pillar under control? He said, one of the first things is rest. We were created to need rest. Jesus said in Matthew 11, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest. But notice how that happens. I have to learn to take him on me. There is a cadence of rest as well as there's a cadence of worship that we all need rest in our lives. If God instituted a day of rest, don't you think, why are you bigger than God? I'm... I won't be here all weekend, so. Uh, <laughs> Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be holy for you, a Sabbath of rest of the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. I, if I'd have been me, I'd have been dead by now. And Sundays are not a Sabbath for me, so I've had to find another day that is a day of rest. Rest. We have some friends of ours that uh, are Jewish rabbi. And they're Messianic Jewish rabbis, and they invite us over to Shabbat dinner to their home. And it was one of the most beautiful moments. They wait for the sun to go down on Friday night, and then they, they light the candle, they break the bread, they open up the cup, and then she stands and pronounces a blessing over her husband. He stands and pronounces a blessing over his wife. She, he then pronounces the blessing over the children. And he says, okay, kids, let's just rejoice. And they all stand up and they turn on music and they dance together in the dining room. And they don't do anything from sundown to the next day at sundown. Ladies, no dishes. Just throwing that in. I'm not saying we need to become Jewish. I'm just saying that maybe if God said that we need to rest on a seventh day, maybe what would happen to our lives if we started grasping rest better guilty my wife and I left there that night and I said why did we do this with our kids all those years how did we miss that all those years I mean why couldn't we have just blessed our kids and then I thought why didn't I bless my wife over the dinner on one night per week and why didn't she stand and say and to pronounce a blessing over me as her husband it was beautiful. It wasn't, it wasn't legalistic. It wasn't ritual. It was beautiful. Get rest. Diet. What's in your diet? Our food is fuel for our bodies. We weren't created to run on junk food, and I'll stop there. Exercise, guys, exercise is what we choose to steward our bodies. I'm not saying you got to be a gym rat. I'm not talking about becoming a gym rat. Just walk. We live in a sedentary society that we're basically disarming and diffusing our physical bodies ourselves. I know 1 Timothy 4 and 8 says body ex bodily exercise profits a little, but it does profits a little. Let me give you the fifth pillar, and that's professional. You say, wow, this is a lot of stuff. I know it is, but I'm not there yet, and I just needed to share with you what I'm working on in my own life. And maybe something I say will just trigger something in you and say, maybe God's bigger than what I thought he was. Professional life. Your professional life is what God has placed you on this earth 
and what you call are called to do in this season of your life. Some of you may be saying, you know, I can't wait. Maybe one of these days I'd love to work for the church. Then I would be in ministry. Let me debunk that right now. <laughs> if you work at a restaurant, you're in ministry. If you work at an insurance company, you're called to ministry. You see, what do you mean? You see, your vocation is something that you're compensated for. Some of you are going to miss this. Your vocation is what you're compensated for. Your calling is what you were created for. We just, we just put too much emphasis in the wrong place. True success is coming to grips with embracing the calling over your life. The God call. Adam knew why he was in the garden. It says that in Genesis 2.15, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. That's all you got to do, Adam. Just tend it and watch it. If you think that you're not important because you don't draw your check or your whatever from being working at a church and you're less, can I just say, could you forgive anybody who ever told you that? Because that is not the truth. You are so important right where you are right now, serving God, doing what God's calling over your life is right now. If you're at a nursing home, if you're a nurse, if you're a doctor, do you not realize the calling of God on your life that you're able to go in and help people? Just quick three aspects of this professional life. Number one, obedience is crucial to your professional life. You say, I don't make that much. Let me, can I give you something just to think about that might help you professionally? Number one is obedience is crucial to your professional life. Stop calling it my job. God's sovereignty puts him in total control, and he has you there. My calling is God's assignment over me. And I need, to be, I need to be real careful about taking ownership of something that's not mine. For everything, Romans eleven thirty six. 36, everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. Notice everything. All glory be to me forever and ever. No, all glory be to him. I hate my job right now. All glory be to him right now. Be the best you can at what you're doing right now. Honor God where God's got you now. And in your obedience, God will continue to let that be the key to the next steps. Let me give you a second one. Is in your professional life, apprenticeship. And this is something that people don't want to talk about. And that's willingness to be mentored. You know why? Is I was talking to a, a professor at one of the uh, seminaries recently, and he said, do you know one of the highest callings of young men and young women coming out of seminary now? And he said, it's not the pulpit. I said, well, what is it? He said, they all want to be consultants. I said, they've never pastured a day in their lives. And he said, yeah, that's why they want to be consultants, because they think they know everything. That could be a problem. I'm 62, and I'm still learning and still being taught. Students are given to theory. Apprentices are given to practice. Jesus taught his disciples by not telling, but by doing. He said in John 13, 15, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. No matter how successful you are or how old you are, there is someone who's gone further than you, done more than you, that is more successful than you, that does it slightly different than you do, that if you'd watch them, they may teach you something. Just threw that out. And the last thing about your, the professional part of your life is fruit. There's a book called The Revenge of Analog, and it says um, 
most of us do jobs that we don't see the end product. Farmers plant seed, they water, they fertilize, and then they get the harvest. Farmers, but now we're no longer a gregarian society. We work in places that many times we don't get to see the end result. And what we think is sometimes there's no, there's no good out of what I do. There's no fruit in what I do. Fruit is, here's what happens. Success is something that's worked for. And some people feel like they're successful. But fruit is something that lasts. What is there in your life right now that's going to last? The term is, what is evergreen in your life right now? What's going to outlive you that's bigger than you are? What poem, what story, what book, what ministry is evergreen? John 15 says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. The last one that we're going to shut down is emotional. And this is the one that to me is just... Coming out of 2020, there's a lot of emotional challenges in our world today. We were created as emotional beings because God has emotions. Some of you will not agree with that, but I, will, I can prove it to you. Biblically, God has emotions. Stephen Bly wrote a book called God's Angry Side. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Jesus is saying, I know you're emotional. I know you're going to go through times of things. But Jesus has a plan. He says, come to me. Reality Checks tells us that we live in a world that is charged with anxiety and fear and depression. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults in the United States age 18 or older. Almost one in five Americans are struggling emotionally. But there's a truth that permeates higher than that. First Peter 5 and 7, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Psalm 94, 19, I was very worried, but you comforted me and made me happy. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true. On what is true. And honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. How many times does your mind start going down a path as, why am I thinking this? How did I get here? Is because I move my mind from being set on him to being set on this. There was a study done by the National Science Foundation, Dr. Walter Calvert. And they interviewed thousands of people with this idea of emotion of where were people at. 30% of our worries about events are in the past. We worry about stuff that's already past. All the worry in the world will never change the past. 40% of the things we worry about will never happen. 12% of our worries are unfounded health concerns. You have a pain in your stomach. Up oh, there she is right there. It's come back. My mom had that. Uncle Bill had that. All of a sudden, you go to step up, your knee hurts. Remember, remember Aunt Susie? She got that bad knee. I think it's coming on. We worry about unfounded health issues. 10% of our worries are over minor, trivial issues, and they proved a in looking at thousands of people that only 8% of our worries are real, legitimate issues. If you constantly fixate on what is not true, you'll begin to believe that nothing's true. Fix your thoughts on what's true. Romans 12 says, be don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, progressively changed that you can prove what the will of God is, that good and acceptable and perfect plan for your life. Did you just close your eyes a moment?
I've given you six pillars that all of us have in our lives, and I know there's more, but these are the six main ones that as I've started looking at my life and watching people and helping them to learn to grow and helping myself to say, God, where do I need to grow? And I hope it wasn't like standing at a fire hydrant. I hope that you picked up some drops along the path that gave you some direction. And with your eyes closed right there, just between you and God right now, just I will tell you that God's not going to beat you up in this moment. In fact, actually, he's going to come with a tender voice and a gentle hand. And he's going to actually just right now, in this, this moment, I believe that he's going to whisper, my child, I love you, I care about you. And this morning, you just heard something that was not meant to beat you up, but I want you to grow up. You may be here and you may be 40, you may be 60, you may be 80. But God says, I want you to grow on the foundation I gave to you through my son, Jesus. Today, for those of you that have been telling your future because of what your past looked like, I'm asking you today to stop. And with your eyes closed for just a moment, I want to read Ephesians 2 and 10 over you. You are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God's got things already planned for you. God has things that long ago before you were even born, God set in motion some things and he's waiting for you to begin to step in to say, maybe I am a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. In closing, the book of Zephaniah says, the Lord rejoices over you with singing. God sings over you. When you go to bed at night, I believe that God may be standing there at the headboard. My question is, what is the song that you believe God is singing over you? Maybe you've heard other voices that have told you what you're not. But what is the God of the universe who enrobed himself in flesh and came and dwelt among us and gave his life? What is he saying? What's in the foundation? And what are you building on top of it? Father, for those watching online, maybe this message will be heard days, months, weeks. And for those sitting here in this room, God, we just thank you for the tender touch of your presence. Thank you that you loved us so much that you were long-suffering and patient and kind get us to this place. God, I've not arrived. God, I've not arrived, but I thank you that you've been so long-suffering. And I pray for anybody in this room that the excavation has not started yet, that they've not received you as Lord and Savior. They've not invited you into their heart. Maybe it's because of feeling unworthy. Not good enough. Look at what I've done. And when that voice yells loud about what they've done, I pray, Father, that let your voice be even louder. That it says, look at what I did for you on a cross. I gave my son for you. Father, this morning, we know that that's, that foundation of our lives can be made sure. As the book of Romans says, if we will confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, we shall be saved. We can find salvation. 
by taking all of that in our life and placing our faith in you. And I pray in this moment, God, speak clearly to every life, every heart, what's in the foundation. What's in the foundation. This is one of those sermons that would do us all well to listen to another four or five or ten times. It speaks to us. No matter where we are in our walk, this word today speaks to us. I love how everything that has happened here today has fit together exactly the way God wanted it to fit together. As we leave this place, could we declare, it doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what others say. It doesn't matter what people think about me. I am who he says I am. You are who he says you are. And you are his child. But regardless where we are, we can all and we must all continue to build. We can't become content. We can't become complacent and say, I've done enough. No, we haven't. If you would stand this morning, if you have never made a start to live for the Lord, you can do this right where you are today. You say, well, I believe in God. That's great. And I'm so glad. But that's just a start. If there are things in your life that shouldn't be there, we need to get rid of them. It's what we call repentance. And we repent because we believe that there was nothing we could do on our own, and so God sent his one and only son to die on a cross, and his blood washes away our sins when we come to him in repentance. And you can do that this morning. If you've never been baptized, we can baptize you. But it doesn't stop there. We keep going. And we move forward. And we keep building. And we never stop. Would you bow your heads this morning? Lord, today we, we are grateful for your spirit that we feel in this place. We thank you, Lord, for speaking to our hearts today. Truly, you have spoken to us. Lord, I pray that if there is one person here today who has never repented, Lord, that they would do that right now as we pray, that they would ask for forgiveness of their sins and believe that the blood of Jesus washes away our sins and that it was more than enough to cover anything that we have ever done. Lord, today we repent of those things that we have done. We repent of those things that we should have done that we didn't. And we ask you to forgive us. We know that you're a merciful God. Show us grace. And no matter where we are, Lord, draw us closer to you today than we have ever been before. We will give you glory. We will give you honor. And we will give you praise. Help us to take what we have heard today as we leave this place and not just lay it down on a, a chair somewhere, but to take it with us in our heart 
And Lord, speak to us in the coming days and weeks and remind us of these words so that we can continue to build, to become what you want us to be. And we give you praise and honor. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would just stretch out your hand this morning as we're dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless you. We love you.